Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com if you're not already there. Click I'm new. And if you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We have come to the final teaching in this series here today. I hope you've really been challenged and I hope you've grown through it as well over the last few weeks. If you haven't listened or watched to the other teachings, this is your first one, man, go back and catch up. (laughs) Better yet, share these on your socials, share them with friends and family. They've been really practical and I have no doubt that other people will benefit uh, from what we've been talking about here over the last few weeks, okay? How do we love difficult people? Now, that's been the premise behind this teaching series. And we started off learning how to love those controlling people, the manipulators. And then we addressed the critic. Oh, we have critics, right? (laughs) In the next teaching. And we learned that there's one important criticism that we really should be receptive to. And that's constructive criticism. And the last teaching uh, that we did before this, this one here today, was focusing on the needy person in our lives. Sometimes the best thing for people who are constantly in need is really to do nothing and let them live and the consequences that their decisions um, have brought. So who's the last person we're talking about today? Well, it's the person who epitomizes the number one complaint that every Christian seems to get thrown their way. The hypocrites. You know, we all know hypocrites. Uh, the people who live by that mantra of, do as I say, not as I do. They're some of the worst, aren't they? It really doesn't get more difficult uh, than hypocritical people. And and Jesus, you know, he loves hypocrites. And and that means we should too, right? Well, we know who hypocrites are, but how do we get to an understanding of what a hypocrite is? Some of you may have heard this before, but I bet many of you haven't. So the word hypocrite comes from an ancient Greek word called hypocrites, which means stage actor. So in ancient Greece, a small number of actors, sometimes even just like one or two, would put on plays and the actors would wear different masks to portray different characters. And over time, the idea of wearing a mask to portray someone who you aren't evolved from this concept, leading us to that English word hypocrite today, with the understanding that as a hypocrite, you're outwardly portraying a false identity. You're you're just putting on a show. You're changing how you act, how you think, how you talk, depending on, you know, what group you're with. Uh, Your life isn't matching up outwardly with who you truly are inwardly. Jesus really hated hypocrisy. In fact, in Matthew 23, he says this phrase over and over again, seven times, woe to the hypocrites. And then he says this in verse 28. I like how the message describes his words. Look at this, Matthew 23, verse 28. Jesus says, people look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. And I don't think it it gets more straightforward than that, right? Like hypocrites are complete frauds and you know plenty of them, don't you? The guy who plays it cool, who like says all the right things. He maybe he prays, talks about his faith, but man, he's cheating on his wife. And it's obvious, hypocrite. There's a student who goes to your student ministry, FCA, Chi Alpha, whatever, and they worship and they serve, but then they're partying really hard on the weekends. Maybe it's somebody you work with, or even a good team leader or supervisor who talks a good game about their faith, and then they lead with just absolutely no integrity with the people around them. So, so what's your role then in 
those situations? How do you respond to hypocrites in your life? So here's how we're going to tackle this last topic, all right? We're going to build an understanding, a foundation first, about hypocrisy. And then I want to walk you through how we love people who live, you know, one way and say a different thing, right? Like, let's start with answering this question, though. Why do people live hypocritical lives? Really important question. And this matters, right? Because if they're saying one thing, but living essentially what's a lie, there has to be a reason behind it. What's the reason? It could be several. First, they may not really know God. Maybe they never truly accepted God and haven't undergone that transformation that His Spirit brings. First John 2, 4 puts it just like this. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey His commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. Just because they profess faith in God, does, just because they go to church, right, uh, and say all the right things, doesn't mean they've actually been transformed by God's power. John's words only echo Jesus' own words. It was Jesus who said, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, look what I did for you, is going to get into God's kingdom. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Uh, this person is not actually a hypocrite that we're talking about here. They haven't been transformed by God's power. They haven't really experienced salvation. They actually need Jesus' grace here in the first place. Here's another reason. Maybe they don't really know better yet because they haven't been taught how to live. They haven't walked through discipleship with somebody. You know, the longer you're a Christian, the more closed off you tend to become. You know, inward drift is just really natural. It's why you have to fight it. It's why our culture right now is super polarized. It's, you know, you have to intentionally stay connected to people who aren't like you, people who in this case are far from God, not only to reach them, but to stay familiar with their world. You know, Christians who get really inward, they tend to believe like, hey, once you say yes to Christ, you should change overnight, you know, and they forget that it's a long process, it's a lifelong process really of transformation to become the person that God's called you to be. There's two letters written to churches in, in, in Corinth in the New Testament. It's a, it's a city in, in, in ancient Greece, and they deal with similar people. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the author, a guy named Paul, he tells his readers, uh, Hey, dear brothers, I've been talking to you as though you were still just babies in the Christian life who are not following the Lord, but your own desires. I cannot talk to you as I would to a healthy Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, they've been forgiven 100%. They've been changed by Christ's power, absolutely. But they hadn't grown in their faith yet. These guys are still babies in Christ. And so that person who still is a, a baby in their faith, you might say, right? Like they need not correction. We, we think it's correction, but that's not what they need. And my youngest is eight months old, and, and as, as of this teaching, I don't correct her because she doesn't know better. So what am I doing? Well, I'm teaching her. I'm helping her learn how to pet the dog, <laughs> right? How to play with certain toys, because she doesn't know basic things. There was a guy who came to know Christ uh, many, many years ago. He had all kinds of questions, and he was really eager to grow and follow Jesus. And we had a conversation one night, and he just said, Pastor, like, I thought about what you said the other day, and so I went to my back porch and got out my joint to smoke for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, he didn't know, okay? Like, yeah, and he, he'd done Mary J since he was a teenager. He had, he had no idea. He had no Christians in his life. He didn't know you don't continue to get high. You don't celebrate your new life in Christ by getting wasted. He had no idea because no one taught him. We had to disciple him. We had to walk him through the changes. He didn't need correcting. He needed someone to teach him. 
because he was a spiritual baby. He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't know. So when you understand someone's behavior, you can really formulate a response that's effective. Maybe they've, they've never known Jesus. Maybe they're spiritual babies. Or maybe they do know better, but still continue in their sin. And they continue to disobey God. And this is a true hypocrite. 1 Peter 2.16 says this, For you are free, yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't use the grace and forgiveness that God has given you as some kind of cover to live however you want. That's what Peter is, is warning about here. Hypocrites start by saying, well, you know, God's going to take care of it. He's going to forgive me. It's fine. I'm not hurting anybody anyway. It just only affects me. And so what's happening is hypocrites begin to rationalize and justify their sinful behavior. I don't have a problem with, you know, anger. Here are you to judge me. Like, you're not perfect either. God's going to forgive me. Like, okay, yeah, at some point, this person knew better. But now they're trying to justify their sin and use God's grace and forgiveness as reasons to continue in that lifestyle. And so Peter says, guys, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't use your freedom in Christ to continue sinning. Now, Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? So in other words, should we continue to live in sin, you know, knowingly sin? with the understanding that God's going to forgive us? This is what Paul's asking here. Of course not, he says. Since we've died to sin, look at this, how can we continue to live in it? So what do you do then with hypocrites? How do you respond to these guys? Do you get confrontational? Do you choose not to judge because you don't want anyone really judging you, right? Like, it's really important we get this right because if we don't, we'll not only push people further away from God, but we'll also be really bad witnesses for everybody else who's observing the process that we're in. So we'll actually hurt everybody involved, I think, including ourselves. So we sorted out who hypocrites are. Now I want to walk you through some steps to respond the right way to a hypocrite. So, you know, what do you, what do you pray? What do you pray? What do you pray when you're trying to respond to these guys? We ask God to help you confront the person with a heart to restore them. That's the first step. You got to restore. Your heart matters. Your approach matters in this situation. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That last part is a, is a key phrase, the right path. Hypocrites are Christians, but they've wandered. Your job is to help get them back on the right track. You're not the judge, but you are the guide. You don't referee what's right and wrong. You lovingly, compassionately, gently guide them back to the path of Christ's freedom. Your goal isn't to be right. And for some of you, <laughs> you see the world very much in black and white. You're going to have to get a little gray here because your job is not to call balls and strikes. You're not deciding what's right and wrong. And, and, and that means your goal in dealing with hypocrites is not to prove you're right and they're wrong. Your goal instead, and I just want to emphasize this, is to help get them right with God again, to guide them back to the life that God has for them in a gentle, loving, and gracious manner. Some years ago, we had a community outreach uh, that drew about 2,000 people to the church I was pastoring at the time. A lot of my leaders showed up late, and they were supposed to man one of the stations at this event. We kept calling, like, where are you at? Where are you at? Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get him to pick up. And then he just kind of showed up. Uh, and when, when this person arrived, you could tell they had, they had a little bit too much to drink. They weren't wasted, but they weren't in complete control either, you know? 
And, and so I, I could have said, hey, you know, like you're out and we don't tolerate this and remove that person from leadership and from serving at our church. But that's not that's not what I did. The next day they, they showed great remorse. They were ashamed and they, they, they'd gotten some help and they took some time away from the leadership role. I mean, we, did, we definitely did that. But then when they were ready to get back into the game, you know what we did? We put them right back into serving, right back into leading. Why? Because that's restoration. They didn't need like a prison sentence here. They didn't need to be removed for all of eternity. They just needed help. They needed correction and then they needed restoration. They recognized they were wrong. They recognized they needed help. They showed they weren't okay with the hypocritical lifestyle that they were dealing with. And so, you know, they were restored in this case, not rejected. This is really important. And it opened them up even more to hear from God and grow in their faith. You know, what did Jesus do? Well, well, he loved people, sure. But how did he love people? He did it with grace and truth. You've got to have both. He, he told people in sin, hey, you're forgiven. But then he would follow it up with and sin no more, right? Or leave your life of sin. He didn't tell people, you know what? It's okay. Do better next time. Try not to get caught. He, he, he wasn't all grace, but he wasn't all truth either. It wasn't like, hey, yeah, you deserve that punishment. You should publicly admit you're wrong and repent right here and now and walk through this big penance. Like he didn't do that kind of thing. He was full of grace and truth. And that's how you confront hypocritical people and how you restore them back to the path that God has them on. So you ask God to help you confront with a heart to restore, really important. But you also ask God to help you confront carefully. Now let's keep going in Galatians 6. The first part of Galatians 6 1 says that we help people get back onto the right path, which is God's path. The latter part has a warning to it though. Look at the last part of verse number 1. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You want to be careful when you confront hypocrites because the moment you put yourself in the position of the one doing the correcting or the guiding, okay, you become very vulnerable to pride. Now, what do we know about pride? Well, Proverbs tells us that pride always comes before a big fall in our lives. And that might be one of the reasons why in 1 Corinthians 10, we have this warning, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So be careful if you're thinking, ah, I would never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. The moment you begin to think that you're you know, better than somebody else, you begin to open up yourself to the enemy's attacks. When you think you've never been unfaithful, you never will be unfaithful to your spouse, like you would never make a poor decision with your finances, uh, you would never find yourself at the bottom of the bottle of addiction, you would never struggle with sexuality or identity or whatever, just be careful. Because you're not any better than the person who is struggling with those things and in sin, and you could find yourself doing the very thing you're calling other people out on. What do a lot of scandals have in common? Whether it's religious or you know, with pastors and leaders or it's political or cultural, what's one of the common denominators? Usually the very people who are adamantly attacking somebody else's view or actions, you know, stuff like, hey, you know, all homosexuals will burn. You know, all the Democrats, all the Republicans, they're all crooks and liars. Those executives, they're evil, stealing people's money. Well, they're the ones that end up being the closet homosexual or the person who commits fraud in government, or the executive who siphons money from clients into their own personal accounts. They often accuse people of doing the very things that they're doing, and they just haven't been caught yet. Be careful you don't become what you're confronting with the attitude, that'll never be me, I'd never do that. Like, I would never live that way, I'll never be that person. Be careful. Let me take it to Matthew 18 really quick. This is one of the best passages, I think, in all of scripture. 
when it comes to restoring people who have fallen. Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you. So notice this is not just anybody, by the way. This entire process centers on Christians who are causing harm to other Christians. We, we don't use this process with people who aren't believers. We don't judge people who aren't Christians for how they live. We don't even expect them to live any differently because they're not followers of Christ. We want them to belong before they believe. Why? Because well, our, our goal is not to change their behavior, right, our, our, or even their lives. Our goal is to introduce them to the one who can and the one who will. So this is strictly for, for, for Christians who are hypocrites here, okay? Go privately and point out the offense. Don't go on social media. <laughs> Don't gossip about it. Go to that person first. And if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. They're, they're back on the right path. Number Galatians 6, 1, okay? Verse number 16. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. This eliminates the whole he said, she said thing, but it also has Old Testament ties. I don't have time to get into that here today, but that's very important. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. So this is leadership, pastor, staff, board, that kind of thing. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, the last part doesn't sound like it means much to us today, aside from taxes, because nobody likes the IRS, right? But that's church discipline in the sense that you redefine the relationship with the person. So it means what you do is you say, hey, you know what? Hey, you, you just can't keep coming around to our group living in sin like this, cheating on your spouse, acting like it's all fine. We've tried to get you to see where you're, where you're in sin at. The pastors tried to do it. The leaders tried to do it. And you won't own it still. And so when you finally see it and you finally own your sin and seek God's forgiveness in a real manner, man, we will open our door back up to you and welcome you back. But until that happens, I I just got to let you know, man, you've crossed a line that you can't cross. And I know that sounds really brutal and harsh, especially in our culture today, but, but, it's, but it's not. It's following the Matthew 18 principle. It's lovingly confronting someone, carefully confronting somebody, right, with a heart to restore. It's not a get out, you're not good enough for us here. It's a process, a step-by-step -step approach where multiple attempts have been tried to steer this person back to God's path, and they've chosen instead to keep living in sin. I've only had to deal with this on one occasion in 14 years of ministry. It usually doesn't come to that. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear how to carefully confront hypocrites. Now here's the final step. You pray for God to give you the heart to restore. You pray for God to help you confront carefully. Matthew 18 is a great, great thing to walk through, a great process. But now, now you throw yourself into the mix and you pray, God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Yeah, we're not just talking about those people now, are we? Jesus called hypocrites blind fools because hypocrisy is really difficult to see in your own life. It's easy to see it in somebody else's, but it's nearly impossible to see it in your own. There was a person I knew once who, who loved calling out hypocrisy in the church. She had called out every single external thing that was going wrong in someone's life. Not always publicly. A lot of times she did it privately. But... You know, every leader who was too worldly, every cultural compromise that kind of seeped into the different elements of the church, you could find a sinner you know, like a mile away. Uh, she could take a good guess at who they were and what they struggled with. And she thought she had all her ducks in a row. She was holy, she was pious, whatever. Uh, except there was, there was sin in her own life. And she had immense anger and, and abusive to people who were you know, closest to her behind, behind closed doors. 
And she worked behind the scenes to fire people she didn't like or had minor conflicts with. She had, you know, she had the, the part of a spiritual Christian down. And she could say all the right things and worship like everybody else. And you, you, you wouldn't see anything destructive or vindictive about her. But, but she brought pain and hurt and misery to a whole host of people and families over the years. And yet she was completely blind to her own hypocrisy. And the honest truth is that she's not alone. Like you're, you're a blind fool at times. You know that? Well, so am I. And really all of us are hypocrites, aren't we? Like we, we don't see it. I, I mean, I, I can preach one thing and then I go at home and do another. And at times, I've, and that's happened. If I'm truthful to you, that's happened. Because I'm not immune to hypocrisy either. None of us are. And what I've learned is that when I find myself being judgmental and condemning others, I'm at a place where I'm really vulnerable. My pride begins to kick in. I think I'm invincible to other people's struggle and sin. And so I said earlier, hypocrites tend to really come down hard on things that other people are doing, right? And so our deepest criticisms are often reflections of where we are the most vulnerable at. And I realized in that moment, I, I got to straighten some things out when that happens in my life. You know, David learned this lesson. He's one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. He defeated Goliath. He accomplished incredible things for God and Israel. But one spring day, he found himself at a place where he shouldn't have been. He should have been at war leading his soldiers. Instead, he was on the rooftop of his palace in Jerusalem. And he sees another man's wife and he thinks, I'm the king. I can have her. And so he sleeps with her. So he commits adultery, sin number one. But it only gets worse because he arranges for her husband to die in battle. He tells the commanders, put Uriah at the front of the fighting where it's the most intense and then pull back from Uriah. That way he'll be isolated and guaranteed to die. That's murder, sin number two. He's completely blind to his hypocrisy. I'm sure he justified his actions. I'm sure he told himself different things to rationalize his behavior. Every hypocrite does that. And then one day there's a prophet named Nathan who shows up. And Nathan confronts David with a heart to restore. And he confronts David carefully. And he tells David a story that he knows will just absolutely pierce his heart. So Nathan says, you know, once upon a time, there was a man with a lamb. And he loved this lamb with everything that he had. In fact, that's all that he and his kids had. And he treated that lamb like a pet. They ate with it. They slept with it. They loved it. Then a wealthy man living nearby had a guest stay with him. And instead of butchering from his own livestock, he took that poor man's lamb and killed it. And they had a dinner party with his little lamb as the main course. David is enraged when he hears the story. And the reason is because he spent his entire childhood and teenage years caring for sheep. He loves sheep. He yells back, that rich man has to pay four times what the lamb is worth. That's the worst tragedy I've ever heard. And then Nathan, I always imagine it might have played out like this, but I don't know how it played out. But Nathan points a finger and he says, Aktayish, which in Hebrew means you're the man, you're the hypocrite. What you're furious about is exactly what you did and you're too blind to see your own hypocrisy. But we're the most judgmental is often where we're the most vulnerable and most blind to our own hypocrisy. The Bible uses sheep as metaphors for our lives. That's not flattering, by the way. Sheep are really stupid, okay? They wander, they chase the shiny thing, right? Like it doesn't take much to get a sheep off track. Without the shepherd guiding them, they are completely lost. And indeed, like when a sheep does go missing, the shepherd takes off in search with the goal of guiding that one little sheep back home. What does the shepherd do? He restores the sheep. He doesn't reject it. He let it wander into the hands of thieves, 
or the wolves that are out. No, he lovingly and gently guides the sheep back home. And I wonder today if you might need some guidance in your life. Have you wandered? Have you gotten off the path that God puts you on? You know, today's the day you can write your life and, and come home. Or maybe you've been too judgmental with hypocrites. You've not followed the Matthew 18 principle. You've written people off too early. Your job is not to change, it's to guide. So guide them back as Jesus teaches in, in Galatians, or Paul teaches in Galatians 6. Guide them back to the path that God carved out for them. Because one day, well, one day you may find that you're the blind fool who's wandered off the right path. And you're going to need somebody to guide you back home to Jesus too. God, I pray for you. God, I love you. I thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. For those, Lord, who the Holy Spirit's convicting and knocking on their heart's door saying, hey, you're the man. You're the hypocrite. There's some things in your life, man. There's some, there's some lifestyle decisions you've made that you know aren't right. I pray for those today who, who are coming face to face to grips with their own hypocrisy. God, may you restore them. Lord, may you, may you heal them. May you bring forgiveness and grace into their lives. But Lord, I pray they find accountability. That there are people who can come alongside them and disciple them and mentor them, help them grow, hold them accountable so that, Lord, they, they don't live hypocritical lives. But God, they, they, they begin to grow into the people you called them to be. Thank you that your grace covers so many wrongs, so many sins, including our own hypocrisy. We pray for restoration in these people's lives. God, for those who uh, are being convicted today because they've been judgmental, they've been condemning, they've not really been in the business of guiding people back to you, they've been pointing out sin, casting judgment and condemnation. God, I pray that they would make a shift in their lives. They would realize that, you know, starting today, we're going to guide people back to Jesus. We're going to follow the Matthew 18 principle. We're going to we're not going to uh, try to tear someone down. We're going to try to restore. That shift of restoring somebody instead of rejecting them is, is pivotal for these people. And I pray they make that shift in their heart and their life. They would confront carefully God with that aim of bringing these people, leading them, guiding them right back to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to live in the grace and the wisdom that they need. Grace and truth. we got to have both. May they operate with both. May they be uh, used by your spirit to guide those who've wandered off back onto the right path to serve and follow you again. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your love, for what you did for us on the cross, how you set us free from sin and from darkness, God. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. We look forward to what you're going to be doing in our hearts and our lives. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.